0: care packages to to all of our missionaries and uh, there's lists back there that you can get and they'll give you ideas of things that you can buy. If you have a great idea for something that's not on the list and you want to buy it, knock yourself out. You can buy one thing on the list, you can buy a whole list, you can buy one column, a quarter of a column. You get the point? Just do what you can do. And uh, there's a barrel out there. You can put it in the barrel or on the table or wherever. I hope we have stuff piled. I hope Dustin gets really mad because of all the stuff that we have come in there on Sunday. Uh, But just try to do what you can do. Think about it. We just want to be a blessing to these missionaries. And uh, I think it's important that for our missions program to get to where we want it to get to, one of the most important things we can do as a church is develop a relationship with these people to get to know who they are and their struggles and their ministries and the things that they're doing. And, and this is a great way to start uh, to, to establish a better relationship. Because I'll be honest with you, I don't think that's something we've done real well up until this point, And that's one of the things that we want to, to do better in the future. So this is how we're going to get it started. That's always a good way. If you want to start a relationship with me, buy me a nice present. That's a good way to start it. <laughs> Romans chapter 8. We're going to read there in verse one. It says, "There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit." Let's pray, Heavenly Father. Thank you for today, for your blessings, and Lord, I pray that you'd be with us in this Bible study. Help it to be an encouragement and a blessing in Jesus' name, Amen. Pray for the preacher as he's out tonight. He's not feeling well, so keep him in your prayers. And um, but Romans chapter eight verse one, we're going to uh, we're going to kind of have a little. TBI segment here tonight, a little Temple Baptist Institute segment, and kind of maybe do things similar to how we do there, and uh, maybe you'll enjoy it, and if you do, you can start coming to the Temple Baptist Institute next module. It's going well. We're enjoying it. Uh, I'm enjoying it, but I'm teaching, so of course I'm enjoying it. I don't know if the students are enjoying it all that much, but I'm having a good time. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 1, now, I, there's a couple of things I want to point out. I, wanna, I want us to understand before we go any further. Uh, One of the most difficult things about the Scripture that causes so much confusion, uh, misapplication, misinterpretation, uh, it it is the root cause of the bulk of false doctrine. And that is people not recognizing the division of Scripture. The Bible says, Study to show thyself approved, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing The word of truth. The Bible is in sections. There are different parts of the Bible. Now, understand, all of the Bible was written for us. But not all of the Bible was written to us. You see, in the Old Testament, actually all the way up through a good portion of the Gospels, God is dealing with nations, or a nation in particular, the nation of Israel. He's dealing with the Jewish people, and the things that he does has to do with them. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't read things that are written to them and make some application about it to our lives. As long as you keep in mind that that thing was written to the nation of Israel, not Temple Baptist Church. Does that make sense? But when you move into the 13 epistles that are written by Paul, those things are written directly to us in the dispensation that we live now. Dispensation is a big fancy word that means time period. Where we live, the time period that we live in now, that it's often referred to as the church age or the age of grace, this is the, the time frame that we are in now, and God now deals with individuals rather than nations. Does that make sense? Paul is referred to as the apostle to the Gentiles. What are we? We're Gentiles. For the most part, there could be a a Jewish person in here, you would be the exception to that rule, but you're still living in the church age and in the age of grace, so these books would still apply to you, but Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. Being that we are Gentiles, these books that Paul wrote are specifically to us in the age in which we live now. So anything that's written by Paul, you pay very special, close attention to because it's to us. So that's where we find ourselves in the book of Romans. Paul has written the book to the, to the church in Rome. These are Gentile people. And in verse 8, he says, There is therefore now. We have to stop right there. TBI students, what kind of word is the word therefore? A what? A contextual word. That word, it forces us to pay close attention to the context to what's going on in this scripture, and more importantly, what's going on prior to this. The word therefore tells us that we should look and see what the therefore is there for. Or it means because of the previous, the following is true. So when we get there and we read there is therefore now, we have to stop because I have to go back and see what was said up until this point for me to understand what Paul's about to say. So by way of review... If we go all the way back to the very first chapter of Romans, we had a, if you were here Sunday morning, I couldn't explain Romans chapter 1 any better than it was clearly explained to us Sunday morning. But the basic point of Romans chapter 1 is Paul is addressing a certain particular group of people who are very hedonistic in their lifestyles. They're sinners, they know they're sinners, they don't care that they're sinners, and they're enjoying their sin. That's where they're at. They make no bones about it. They're hedonistic in their lifestyles. From every sin that you can... The worst possible sins that we could imagine in our mind are the ones that Paul describes in Romans chapter 1. Now, some of you heard me use this illustration. I tried to use it on a Wednesday night one time with a picture of a boat, and I couldn't get any help, so I didn't even try it again tonight. But just pretend like we've got a big boat here, okay? And on the back of that boat are these hedonistic people. And they're doing everything on the back of that boat that you can imagine hedonistic, heathen, sinful people do. Whether it be drinking or immorality or smoking cigarettes and dipping snuff. That's what my wife likes to do. And so they're just living it up back there. I wasn't supposed to tell that was a in charge. You don't care? Okay. They're just living it up. Sinful, immoral people on the back of the boat. He goes on in chapter two to describe a group of people. What did I do? I'll stand right here. I'm sorry. He goes on in the back of the boat. uh, He goes on in chapter two to describe a group of people who are very moral, upright, good people. They follow all the rules. They do what they're supposed to do. They've never colored outside of the lines. You ever known anybody like that? I can't stand them. These people are sitting, if they were on this boat, they're sitting on the front of the boat. They're sitting on the front of the boat. They've got their life jackets on, and they're keeping their hands and feet inside the boat, and they're following all the rules and doing exactly what they're supposed to do in the boat. And and they cannot stand that group of people that's on the back of the boat. They detest those people. Because, you see, they're keeping the rules and they're doing what they're supposed to do. And those people on the back of the boat, they're breaking all the rules. They're living it up and having a good time. And these people on the front of the boat hate those people because, really, they'd kind of like to be doing what they're doing. And they hate them because they're not following the rules like they are. Well, he goes on in chapter 3 to describe a, a, a group of people that, if they were on this boat with the hedonistic people on the back and the rule keepers on the front... These people are driving the boat. This guy has on a sailor's uniform. He's got a manual that tells him how to sail. He's even got a tattoo that says he's a sailor. And he's driving the boat. Got his sailor's hat on. Let me ask you something. What do these three groups of people all have in common? They're all in the same boat. And it doesn't matter whether you're living it up as a heathen on the back of the boat. Or you're a good, moral, upstanding, upright person on the front of the boat. Or maybe you're a good religious person and you're driving the boat. You're all in the same boat. And Romans chapter 3 verse 9 says, For we have before proved, both Jew and Gentiles, that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no not one. This boat that they happen to be on is the boat of condemnation. And it doesn't matter where you're at. If that boat goes down, everybody on the boat sinks. Man, we got to figure that out. What am I doing wrong? Do what? <laughs> hey, what? It wasn't screwed all the way in. Is that better? We good? Can y'all hear me? Yeah. Testing one, two, three. Okay. Where were we at? Well, we we're talking about the boat. Doesn't matter where you're at on the boat. If the boat sinks, you're going down. And you're on this boat of condemnation. Now, if the book of Romans stopped right there, it's a very distraught, depressing thing. Because it gives us if it stopped there, we'd have no hope. But I'm thankful for chapters three or chapters four and five. Because chapters four and five of Romans discuss justification. Now, I've heard people give a lot of definitions of the word justification, and that's okay. But I believe that i got a greater understanding about justification today when I study this than maybe I had ever before. Justification is not just the forgiveness of our sins. Because, see, if our sins are forgiven, that only gets us to so far. See, justification also deals with the imputing of the righteousness of Jesus. We didn't just get our sins forgiven. We got the righteousness of Christ placed upon us. So here's how it works. When God looks at our account, he sees Jesus' righteousness. And when he looks at Jesus' account, he sees our sin. Because our sin was placed upon him and his righteousness was placed upon us. That's justification. It's a legal term where that we're made right. And that's what Romans chapters 4 and 5 talk about, is justification, where that we can be made okay with God. Well, Romans chapters 6 and 7 talk about sanctification. And sanctification is just the setting apart of a person so that they can be used for a particular purpose, so that God can use them for his work. And uh, there's some great verses in the Bible that talk about sanctification, some great passages. Uh, there's one in 1 Peter that talks about vessels unto honor. How that, that The way we live our life will greatly affect how God is able to use us. But you know what? In Romans chapter 6, if I read that chapter, I would come away from that thinking, man, I can do this. Because that's kind of what Paul was saying. He was excited about what he had and what was going on and salvation and justification and the fact that he was no longer on that boat of condemnation. And in chapter 6, he believed, man, I can do this thing. And he gets to chapter 7. He gets to chapter 7 he begins to talk about how the, the things that I want to do, I don't do those things. And the things that I don't want to do, I, for some reason I keep doing those things. How many of you can relate to that tonight? I don't want to do certain things and I have trouble, I keep doing those things. And the things that I want to do, I just can't seem to muster up the character to get them done. It seems like it's a constant struggle that we go through every day. And it's not necessarily just sin, sometimes it's just discouragement and struggle and difficulties in life. Listen, there's not a person in here from the furthest person over there to the furthest person over here and everybody in between. At some point in your life, you don't deal with these things. You don't struggle with these things. Sins, discouragement, heartache, loss. But the great thing is, chapter 8, Paul deals with encouragement for the struggling believer. You see, in chapter 7, he talks about how, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of this death? We see there that he's at a very, very, Discouraging state until he moves on into chapter 8 and offers us encouragement in this struggle that we face. I think about 1967, the Dallas Cowboys are playing the Green Bay Packers at Lambeau Field in what today is known as the Ice Bowl. I did a little reading about that game and what the conditions were. It was 15 degrees below zero at kickoff. The wind chill factor was like 40-something degrees below zero. These guys were playing football in it. Now, they had covered the field with a tarp to try to warm it up, but it, they didn't think about when they took the tarp off, there'd be condensation, and as soon as they removed that tarp, the field flash froze, and they are literally playing football on, 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 a, on ice, hence the ice ball. Well, there's 16 seconds left in the fourth quarter. The Green Bay Packers have driven the ball all the way down to the goal line. It's fourth down. There's 16 seconds left in the game. There is one play left, and the Cowboys are winning 17 to 14. They call a quarterback sneak. Bart Starr goes up, starts to call the signals. and A guy named Jerry Kramer is playing right tackle. Jerry Kramer was a hero of mine growing up, read all of his books. I even wore his number in high school because I, I, I really loved him and his books and everything. So Jerry Kramer had talked about all through the game how that he felt like he had a good command, good control of Jethro Pugh, the defensive tackle that was playing across from him. They call it quarterback sneak. He tells the quarterback, and the other, he says, Bart, I got this. Come to my side. On this quarterback sneak, come to my side. I can get Pugh off the line. Ball snaps. He drives out, blows his man off the line. Bart Starr just falls in the end zone for a touchdown to win the game. He fights up from the crowd just knowing everybody's cheering for him. And when he fights up, it dawns on him that everybody's patting Bart Starr on the back. They're lifting him up. The crowd's going crazy for Bart Starr. And he's kind of discouraged. And as he's walking off the field, he makes eye contact with Bart Starr, or, or with, with Vince Lombardi. Vince Lombardi looks at him and gives him this right here. He said, That's all I needed was just that little bit of encouragement. You know, sometimes when you're in a spot in your life when things are really down, and you're struggling, and you're going through a hard time, maybe all you need is this right here. And that's what Romans chapter 8 is all about here. The first thing that I want to show you, or that I want to talk about, about why we should be encouraged tonight, is verse 1 of chapter 8 there. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, The first thing that we should be encouraged about is that we have peace in the struggle. You know, I teach an exhaustive lesson in life recovery about eternal security. And I've actually made some people mad and made a lady mad. and She said she wasn't coming back anymore because it was a Bible study. (laughs) God forbid we have a Bible study at Temple Baptist Church. But I think one of the most important things for a person struggling with addiction struggling with recovery situation, if they need anything, they need to be able to have faith and confidence in their salvation. And know beyond any shadow of a doubt that if I fail, God doesn't kick me out of the family, He's not mad at me, and I can have confidence and, and, and belief in the fact that there is no condemnation. You see, when you got saved, you were removed from the boat. And you're no longer in that boat. And as a result, we can be encouraged about the fact that there is no condemnation. Why do I know that? Why do I believe that? Well, I believe the first thing that you can see of that is because of the predication of my salvation. The thing that my salvation is predicated upon or based upon or the foundation of my salvation has everything to do with me being a really good person and my good outweighing my bad, right? Right? Absolutely not. My salvation is based upon me going over here on the first Sunday of the month and getting baptized in that tank, right? Those waters wash away my sin, right? No, of course not. You see, here's the thing. If I told you to not, I'm going to give you this really fine pen, this really expensive, why don't we have a First Baptist Church a Trustful pen on our What's up with that? That's great, isn't it? A little advertising there. If I told you, Jeremiah, that I was going to give you this pen, this really nice First Baptist Church of Trustful pen, but you've got to to go wash my truck, and it needs it, would that be a gift? Of course not. He'd be paying. He'd be doing something for it. What about if I said, Miss Diane, you can have this pen, but in order to get this pen, I've got a list of things here you've got to do for the next 30 days. You've got to be really good. You've got to quit dipping snuff. Um, you, you, you've got to come to church three times a week, you've got to tithe 20%, give a lot to missions, and designate some to the missions and outreach pastor. Um, here, big list of things you've got to do. And if you do all of those things, then I'm going to give you this pen. Is that a gift? No, of course not. It'd be a reward. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. It says in Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith. My salvation is predicated and based upon grace. That is when I get something... That I don't deserve. I didn't do anything to earn this. I didn't muster up a bunch of goodness to get this. My good didn't outweigh my bad. It wasn't because I got baptized. My salvation is based upon one thing and one thing alone. And that is the payment that Christ made for me on Calvary. And when I put my faith and my trust and my belief in that work, then my sin debt was paid for me. That's what my salvation is based upon. So if my salvation is based upon that, why in the world would I think if I didn't get it by doing those things, why would I keep it by doing those things? You see, my salvation was not based upon me getting it by being good, and neither is it based upon me keeping it by being good. My salvation was received by grace, and it is kept by grace. I can't be good enough to get salvation. And let me tell you something else, I can't be good enough to keep my salvation. My salvation is based upon what he did on Calvary. So it's based upon the predications of my salvation. But it's also based upon the partial payment of my salvation. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Ephesians. There's a very important verse I want you to see. That is a good looking shirt you have on, by the way. Brother Charlie, we have on the exact same shirt. mine's probably bigger than yours. Ephesians chapter 1, I think I said 4, but I'm in Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, it says, in whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Now, let's stop right here. I think it's pretty plain right there that Paul's saying, okay, all of you guys that have been saved, I dare say tonight that if I put you on the spot right now and ask everybody in here, if you died right now, do you know that you'd go to heaven? I doubt that anybody in here would not raise their hand. Everybody would say that they've been saved, whether you have or haven't. You'd say that right now. It's Wednesday night. We are all saved or we wouldn't be here. Right? So that's who Paul's talking to. He's talking to us. We've been saved. He says, "In whom that ye also trusted after that after you heard the word of truth, the gospel, of salvation, and whom also after that you believed, listen to this, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. This is very important. Which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of his glory. When you go and buy a house, You go to the real estate agent, or however you do it, and you go see them. You say, we want to buy a house, and they get you pre-qualified for what you can afford, and then they put you in the car, and they drive you over, and they show you this house, and you and your wife look at it, and you say, man, this is the greatest house we've ever seen. This is perfect. It's exactly what we want. We want to make an offer on this house. Well, traditionally, and I'm sure there are exceptions to the rule, but traditionally the way this goes is the real estate agent writes an offer, and you sign that offer. And you write them a check. And that check, or really I think what you have to do is go get a cashier's check. It's got to be, you know, it can't be a fake check. It's got to be for real. If I wrote them a check, it wouldn't be very good. You get a check and you assign, uh, you attach it to that contract and it's called earnest money. The definition of earnest, uh, an earnest payment is a partial payment. Now, here's the thing. Not a single one of us sitting here tonight has received all of our salvation. We haven't gotten all of it because we're still sitting in here tonight battling in a sin-cursed world that's ruled by Satan, dealing with struggles and difficulties and problems and issues. We won't be fully, completely receive everything that goes with salvation until we get to heaven. But in the meantime, Paul tells us there in Ephesians, that the Holy Spirit that we are sealed with at salvation is the earnest or the partial payment of what we will get the full amount of when we get to heaven. We've been given a partial payment of it. And the Bible says that we are sealed with that Holy Spirit. Now, I could go into detail and go all the way back to the Old Testament and take you through several passages and show you what the meaning of a seal is. But what it boils down to is when they sent a a document in this time, they would seal up that document and then pour some wax on it and stamp it with a seal. And that particular seal was assigned to that person. And what that meant is that that letter, or that document, could not be opened until it reached the person that it was going to. That's the only person that could open it. It says here that we've been given a partial payment, which is the Holy Spirit, who seals us until the day of redemption. Does that give any indication or sound like I could lose that in any way? I'm sealed until that day that Jesus calls us when he meets us in the clouds and raptures the church out, or until I die, whichever one comes first. I'm sealed until that day. Because it's not predicated upon what I did, it's based upon what he did. My salvation is not based upon me, it's based upon him. My salvation, the Holy Spirit, is a partial payment of what I will get the full amount of someday when I get to heaven. And I'm sealed with that partial payment until that day of redemption. So, what does all this mean? All of this fancy Temple Baptist Institute, big shot dean, professor talk mean. I read it all in a book. It means that we can be encouraged to not. We can be encouraged in the struggle because, regardless of what happens, we know how it ends. Regardless of if I fail, if I stumble, if I make a mistake, if I'm not always successful, if I miss the block and Jethro Pugh comes through and tackles the quarterback in the end zone and we lose the game and I don't get the thumbs up, I'm still going to heaven when I die. So be encouraged tonight. The very first thing that Paul says in this chapter of encouragement right here is for you to be encouraged because there is therefore now no condemnation. I'm going to heaven when I die. On February the 1st of 1981, as an eight-year-old little boy at Fairview Baptist Church in Little Rock, Arkansas, in super church with my brother preaching, I realized that I was lost and needed Jesus. And I walked down an aisle and a person took me in a classroom and I trusted Christ and asked him to save me that day. And to be honest with you, I'm thankful for the fact that I've never doubted my salvation since that day. And I've been through some ridiculous things. I've seen some very lows in my life, but the one thing that I always had to cling to is that if this thing goes really bad, if I were to die, or no matter what happens to me, when I do die, I know how it ends. I'm going to heaven. So be encouraged tonight, because there is therefore now no condemnation. What's the next thing? The next thing we see is in verses 11 through 13 of chapter 8 in Romans. It says, but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you. Now, hold up. Let's go back to to verse 9. I threw them for a curveball. Don't worry about it. I'll just read verse 9 here. It says, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So that means... That if I have the Spirit of Christ, then I am His, right? If I do not have the Spirit of Christ, then I'm not His. There's no in-between. There's no period there where, uh, I, I, in-between period. It's either you got it or you don't have it. I asked I asked a preacher the other day if he was going coon hunting. He said, only if it gets dark. <laughs> it's either light outside or it's dark outside okay? It's either day or night. And you see, with the Holy Spirit, you either have him or you don't have him. If you have him, you're saved. If you don't have him, then you're lost. Todd, you have no idea how close I came to stealing your illustration, but I didn't. When I got saved on February the 1st, 1981, and I've said this plenty of times, how, why do you think I talk about this a lot? Because, first off, it means a lot to me. But second of all, I talk about this a lot because the charismatic church is loaded down with pr- former Baptists. People who used to sit in a Baptist church, who used to come to a Baptist church, and for, because of, they went to a charismatic church and enjoyed the, the um, emotional experience of it, they, they didn't know what they believed, And they got drawn in by false doctrine. False doctrine that tells you that when you get saved, the next thing that happens is you have to get the indwelling of the Holy Spirit subsequent or at a later date to your salvation. Well, I'm telling you right there, the Bible says that's not true. The Bible says you either have the Spirit and you're of Christ or you don't have the Spirit and you're not of Christ. There is no in-between. So you see, and here's why it's so important, and this is why you should be encouraged, because verses 11 through 13 says, but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, now do you get that? Do you see what it's saying there? The very same spirit that called Jesus out of the tomb from the dead is the spirit that indwells you at salvation. The day that you got saved, that Holy Spirit moved in and took up residence in your life, Is the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Let's keep going. He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken, that means to bring to life, your mortal bodies by a Spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, because your bodies have been quickened, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye... Through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of this body, ye shall live. So what does all that mean? It means this. I should be encouraged to not, not only because I have peace in the struggle, but because we have power in the struggle. You see, when we get saved, the reason that that is such a big deal and why that's such an important thing Is because when that spirit indwells us, that is the point in which we receive the power to be able to face the struggles and the difficulties and the things that we have to go through in life. Without that, we're powerless. Now think back. What did Jesus tell the disciples to do after he ascended to heaven? What did he tell them to do? He said, you go in that room and you wait and you stay there and don't you come out until you get the Holy Spirit. Because Acts 1-8 tells us that with the, when the Holy Spirit comes, you shall receive what? Power. Power. You see, it's that Holy Spirit that gives us the ability to be able to face these struggles. It's the Holy Spirit that carries us down a path towards holiness, towards sanctification, towards the things that we want to be and we desire to be for the Lord and that He desires for us to be. Without that Holy Spirit, it is impossible, it is impossible For us to accomplish that. You see the Holy Spirit in John chapter 16 tells us that he is a teacher to us. He is a a comforter to us. You know what else is great? In chapter 8, this same chapter, if you turn over and look at verse 26, it says, likewise the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. That word infirmities is weakness. How many of you have a weakness tonight? You don't have to raise your hand. We'd all have to raise our hand. My weakness is nutty bars. Huge fan of nutty bars. That's not my only weakness. That's just what we can talk about and it's not uncomfortable for everybody. (laughs) But we all have weaknesses. And you know who can help us with those weaknesses? The Holy Spirit. And it's amazing to me when I think about the power that is available to us. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead we have indwelled in us. You see, here's what we do. And I started to do this hokey illustration, but it was too much trouble, so I didn't fool with it. (laughs) What if I got a a drill, a piece of wood, and I just started trying to drill a hole into that piece of wood and turn the drill? It's never going to work right, is it? What do I have to do? I've got to plug the drill in. If I've got a chainsaw and I want to cut down a tree, I can't just run that chainsaw up against that tree. I've got to crank it. I've got to get it going, I've got to get the power kicked in before it's going to operate the way it's supposed to. You see, we all try to operate without the power that we have available to us. And that is a direct result of why we struggle and why we fail and why we go through constant defeats in our life because we do not plug into the power that is available to us. We're trying to run the drill and it's not even plugged in. So you should be encouraged tonight. Because when Jesus ascended, he sent that Comforter, that Helper, that Teacher, that Holy Spirit that will help us to face these struggles. So what else tonight? Why else should we be encouraged? Not only should we be encouraged because we have peace in the struggles, we have power in the struggles, but also, look at verse 15, it says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby you cry, Abba, Father. You know why? Because we have position in the struggle. Now, again, you may have heard this illustration before, but some of you haven't. If you've heard it, act like you haven't heard it, because it's, it's one of my favorite stories. I'm a senior in high school, and uh, we're in a football game, and the the Competition between myself and the guy that's playing tackle directly across from me has gotten relatively heated throughout the game. You understand what I'm saying? It's gotten, it's gotten rowdy. And uh, I'd gotten the best of him on a couple of plays in a row, and, and I think I'd probably told him or explained to him how that I'd gotten the best of him on a couple of those plays. And for some reason, he didn't really appreciate that. So I go back to the huddle, and when I lean over in the huddle, he hits me in the back, running wide open. I'm already in the huddle, all right? Well, I forgot all about sportsmanship and being a team member and unsportsmanlike conduct and all of that, and the fight ensues in the middle of the field. It was so bad, both benches clear, coaches are fighting, the referees walk off the field. It's the end of the third quarter. They're gone. We'll see y'all. There's no way we can stop this. Front page of the four-star telegram. Christian schools get in bench clearing brawl. (laughs) Yeah, it was great. It was great. Really great. I wish I'd have kept that. It's really funny now. It was not funny then. And uh, after that game, we didn't go to the pizza place and hang out or anything like that. The coach is going crazy in the locker room and he's really mad. And of course, I'm the focal point of all of this problem. And uh, so I go home and Kind of a quiet weekend, I'm ducking and dodging and Friday, Sunday evening, man, I've been waiting for it, the phone rings, and it's my head coach, and he says, uh, you need to be in the uh, administrator's office in the morning at 7.30. Yes, sir, i will be waiting on that call. So I get off the phone, and my dad says, hey, who was that? I said, "That oh, was Coach McLean, i got to be in the administrator's office in the morning at 7.30. He said, okay. I said, all right, I'll see you in the morning. Or no, I didn't say that, because my dad was always gone to work. He left really early in the morning. Was always gone before I ever got up for work. So, I mean, before I ever got up for school. So, I get up the next morning, get ready for school, and I come walking downstairs, and my mom and dad are sitting at the kitchen table drinking coffee. I say, hey, Dad, what are you doing? How come you're not already at work? He said, "We had a meeting this morning with the school administrator, right?" I said, "Yes, sir. I guess we do." <laughs> so, I get in the car, and he takes me to school that morning, and I'll never forget. We're walking up. I go to walk towards where the administration building is, where the administrator's office is. And he puts his hand on my chest and stops me. He said, hold up, where are you going? I said, well, I'm, the minister's office is up here. He said, yeah, I know where it's at. Your locker's in there, right? I said, yes, sir. He said, well, you go into your locker and go to, go to class. He said, I, I'll take care of this. Dude, now, leading up to that, from the time that I got that phone call until that point right there, I was pretty nervous. I was pretty, uh, pretty scared. But the moment that my dad said, You go on to class. I'll take care of this. Guess what? I was no longer scared. I wasn't worried about it. My dad's got this. I guarantee you they can't handle my dad. There's no way. Dad's got this. I can go to class. I'm not even thinking about this anymore. I never heard another peep about the whole thing. We go to class. I go to practice. Coach comes to practice. We practice. He never says a word. I don't say a word. And to this day, the administration has never said a word to me about that game. Because my dad took care of it for me. What's the point to all of that? This verse says For we have received the spirit of bondage. We have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption whereby you cry, Abba, Father. We don't have to be afraid. You see, we have a position at salvation. Not only were we dwelled with power, but we also were given a position as a son of God, as a child of God. And when you face these struggles and these difficulties in life, you've got to plug into the fact that you have a heavenly father that will tell you, hey, hold up, I'll take care of this. The problem is we continue to want to try to handle our own problems. We want to try to fix these things ourselves. We have difficulties and problems and struggles in our life, and we think that we can muster up the strength and the ability and the power to handle this when we have a Heavenly Father who wants nothing more than to help us with our struggles and our difficulties. But we insist on taking care of it ourselves. So I tell you tonight, be encouraged. Be encouraged because you have a position in Christ as a son. The Bible talks about in the next verse that we are heirs, joint heirs with Christ. We inherit everything that has come to the son is coming to us because we are children of God. I remember another particular time and this goes back to our our very first point. I remember a time as an adult. I got into some pretty serious pretty serious situation. I really disappointed my dad and let him down and and our our relationship had become very strained, and we had become estranged. I didn't call him on the phone. He didn't call me on the phone. We didn't talk. Um, Not by design. It just kind of drifted that way, and I remember I got in a real bad situation. I got into pretty serious trouble. I called my dad one day. I said, Dad, I need to talk to you. Can you meet me at your house? He said, I sure will. I'll be right there, and I'll never forget having to tell my dad that news that I gave him that day, and I asked him, I remember telling him how sorry I was. Immediately, he said, son, it's okay. We'll figure it out. Now, we figured it out. It wasn't as easy as the school thing. But you know what? Immediately, the relationship with my dad was put back together, and we began to work back through these things. Now, as much as I make my dad great in these illustrations and these stories, and he is great, dad, I hope you watch this on the line. He is great, but he's still bound by being an earthly father. You see, we're children to a heavenly father that has no boundaries, no limits. He's omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient. He knows everything that's ever happened in the past, everything that's going to ever happen in the future, and he, he knows exactly what's going on, and nothing ever catches him off guard. That's who we have That's who the position as a son that we possess. So why should we be encouraged this evening? Because of who our Father is. The position that we have. We should be encouraged by that. We should be encouraged by the fact that there is no condemnation. I'm not going to die and go to hell. Even though I've made some mistakes and I've messed some things up in my life, I'm not going to die and go to hell. We should be encouraged tonight because when the struggle gets difficult, when it gets hard, when I don't think I can go on any further, the Bible told us there that the Spirit also helpeth my infirmities, my weaknesses, the Spirit will help me through those struggles. He will help me to be able to to win the battle against this flesh. We should also be encouraged because of who our Heavenly Father is, the position that we have. Verse 17 says, And if children, then heirs heirs of God and join heirs with Christ for if so be that we suffer now hold up that says if we suffer we're gonna suffer there's no way around that there's no avoiding suffer there's no there's no avoiding difficult times there's no because man was created for adversity Everybody you meet in one of three, three places. He's either in the midst of a hard time, he's just come through a hard time, or he's about to go through a hard time. Because that's what life is like. That's what it's about, living in a sin-cursed world that's ruled by Satan. He lives and breathes and walks, and everything is about him giving us a hard time. So we're going to see struggles and difficulties and suffering in our life. And it says there, So be that we suffer with him, that we may also that we may be also glorified together. You know the last reason we should be encouraged tonight? Because we have purpose in struggles. You know what? It's not random. You don't just struggle just to be struggling. Now you think about greatest example of a struggle ever to me. It always goes back to Joseph. You look at the struggles that Joseph went through. For all practical purposes, Joseph was a good kid. He's doing right. And it wasn't his fault that he was born to the favorite wife of his father. And he was honored and favored by his dad. And as a result, his, his half-brothers were really jealous of him. They got so sick of him being the favorite, they decided we'll just fake his death and sell him to some Moabites headed to Egypt. Can you imagine the, the, the ride or the walk to Egypt through the desert as a slave? He's got to be thinking, man, what did I do to deserve this? I've always been a good kid. I've always done the right thing. Why would my brothers do this to me? He's struggling. He gets there, and it's almost cruel the way it worked out. He gets bought by a guy named Potiphar. He goes to work in his house. You know the story. Things start to go well, and then his wife frames him. Always going to be some woman. She frames him up and accuses him of something that he didn't do, and as a result, he gets thrown into a dungeon, an Egyptian dungeon. I bet those were nice accommodations, don't you? I can imagine him sitting in this prison cell, this jailhouse, this dungeon. He's thinking, man, just when I think that maybe things are getting back on top and I might have a chance, I didn't do anything and this woman accused me. Of course, they're never going to take the word of some slave over this guy's wife. Why does this stuff keep happening to me? These struggles that he's going through. Well, you know the story. There were a couple of guys that he happened to bump into because everything's by fate and happenstance. He bumps into a couple of guys while he's there in the dungeon who had access to the king. He interprets some dreams for these guys who come true. They go back, tell the king about it. The king says, hey, I need to see that guy. So he brings him up and he interprets to the king and, 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 and prophesies to him about seven years of famine that are coming up. So what does the king do? The king puts him, and the, the second in command, he's the vice pharaoh, the governor of pharaoh. And he takes off his ring, his seal, and he gives that seal to Joseph, and that makes him, by all practical purposes, just as powerful as pharaoh, because everything he says he can stamp with pharaoh's seal, and it's just like pharaoh said it. Now you see how that... That God worked all of these things in Joseph's lives to prepare him and to prove him. So that when he sat in that position, he would be able to bring forth the things that he did. Now here's the thing. We all get fired up about the Genesis chapter 50 where he tells his brothers that what thou meant for evil, God meant for good. And the good part of that, the good part of that story is not Joseph sitting on the throne and being the second in command over Egypt. That's not the good part of the story. The good part of the story is this, because Joseph was in that position, he was able to preserve that little nomadic band of people that would become the nation of Israel. That David, the King David, would sit on the throne someday. They'd become one of the most powerful nations on the planet at that time. And through that same nation and that line of people would come Jesus who would die on the cross and pay yours, yours, and my sin debt. That's the big picture of the whole thing. And you see, we think it's great because Joseph got to sit on the throne and get some vindication over his brothers, but it had nothing to do with that. It had to do with the big picture of the thing. And see, what we fail as, as, as temporal-minded people at times to do is we fail to see the big picture of this thing. And we struggle through these things and all we can see is right up here. And we can't see the forest because all we're looking at is the tree that's right in front of us. You see, there is purpose and struggles. I look back on some of the struggles in my life and some of the things that I've had to go through. And listen, t- trust me, I could not minister and do the things that God uses me to do and the things that he's given me the, 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 the honor to be able to do today had I've not gone through some of the struggles that I went through. Now, it wasn't, I didn't have to go through those struggles. Most of those struggles were self-induced. But God, through his grace, used those struggles so that I could someday do something great for him. Hopefully someday. Have a purpose for your struggles. It's it's not random. There's a reason why that you go through the struggles that you go through. So I, I asked the question, or I made the statement tonight, why we should be encouraged. We should be encouraged because there is no condemnation. We should be encouraged tonight because of the power that we have. We should be encouraged tonight because of the position that we have in this struggle. We should be encouraged tonight because there is purpose in the struggle. That's a bunch of whys, but what about the hows? How can I be encouraged? Okay, you're telling me all this stuff, and I hear what you're saying, and, and yeah, I should be, but I'm really, I don't get how I can put all this together. Well, first of all, the Bible tells us in Ephesians that. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, which that word filled is synonymous with the word controlled. Filling has to do with controlling. When you allow the Holy Spirit to control you, and you've tapped into that power, and He's directing and running things in your life, Ephesians tells us that there'll be some very distinct um, characteristics of that. talks about how there'll be psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That's what the result of being controlled by the Holy Spirit will be in your life. But it also says, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, Let the words of, the Lord, of Christ dwell in you richly. Guess what the result is if you have the words of Christ dwelling in you richly? Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. If you want the power of the Holy Spirit this evening, folks, there's only one way to get it. It's not by an emotional experience. It's not by somebody smacking you in the forehead or sprinkling some wiffle dust on you. The only way that you can tap in to the power of the Holy Spirit is through this book right here. That's it. That's the only access to the Holy Spirit is through God's Word. That's it. He speaks to you. He directs you. He guides you. He leads you through this book. And God speaks to you. When He talks to you, it's through His Word. People that tell me stuff about God told me, they make me nervous. They scare me, okay? Because God talks to me through His Word, through principle and through precept. That's how God speaks to me. That's how God talks to me, through the Scripture, through His Word. When He leads me and He guides me and He He works in my heart, it's through the things that I've read in the Scripture, Not something I conjured up because I ate too much Mexican food the night before. Well, the next thing about how to be encouraged, Romans chapter 4 and verse 20. The next thing, you know, the the third point in the message tonight was we have position in the struggle. And and we talked about how that we have received the spirit of bondage. We've not been received again the spirit of bondage to fear. You see, I talked about that, that situation when I was going to the school administrator's office and the thing that gripped me leading up to that was what? Fear. I was afraid. I was afraid until my dad got involved and he took care of the situation for me. So how in the world? What, what's the problem with us? Why are we so afraid today? Romans chapter 4 verse 20 through 21 says, this is talking about Abraham, it says he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. What was strong in faith giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able also to perform. Here's the thing. I don't know where it's at or what the answer is. I don't know if we at times just don't believe God or if we believe God has good intentions in what he says in his book, but we're just not sure if he's able to pull it off. You see the difference between Abraham, when when God called Abraham out of the Ur of the Chaldees and told him to go into a land that I will show thee, he said, just start walking, Abraham, and I'll tell you when to stop. He loads up and takes off. What what caused him to be able to do that? The Bible talks about in Romans chapter 4, he believed God. Do you know why we have a spirit of fear at times, even though we have a position as children of God? It's because we really don't believe Him. If we did, we wouldn't be afraid. We wouldn't be scared. If we really believed what God said about our marriages, we would do it and trust Him. If we really believed what God said about bitterness, we would find a way to alleviate that bitterness and move on past that anger, and we would trust in what he says in his word and go forward with our lives. But we don't believe him. We like being angry. We like being bitter. We like feeling guilt over past sins, and we don't believe what the Bible says, where Paul says forgetting those things which are behind and pressing forward. We don't believe that's true, so we just keep hanging on to that stuff if we really believed God, we would believe what he said in his book and we'd be like Abraham and we wouldn't stagger at his promises and we would believe that he was able to perform what he said he would do. And the last thing that we talked about is how that we should have purpose in the struggles. Well, James chapter 1 verse 5 says, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Now that verse there is talking about, I mean that whole chapter there is talking about, James is writing that book to a group of believers and Christians and In uh, Jerusalem, who are greatly persecuted, going through very difficult times, trials, tribulations. So the whole context of that verse is about trials and tribulations. And what James is saying there is, if you don't understand why you're going through what you're going through, then let him ask of God. And I return back to the question I asked earlier, when God speaks to us, how does he do it? Through his word. You know what? We stagger at the promises of God because we lack what? Faith. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10 verse 17 that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If you lack the Holy Spirit controlling your life, it's because you're not dwelling, and the words of Christ do not dwell in your heart. So let me sum it up with this. I've taken 56 minutes now to boil it all down to one thing. If you're struggling tonight, your answers are right here. Your struggle is solved right here in God's Word. Because if you find those promises that he's made for you and in your life and in your difficulties and in your trials, the Bible says there is no temptation taking you but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. Who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able, but will also with the temptation create a way that you might escape? There is an escape to your trial, your tribulation, your struggle, regardless of what it is, and it lies right in those scriptures. Not in a self-help book, not in some motivational speaker, not in some TV evangelist, your help comes right here. If you want your faith to be increased, you get in the Bible. If you want the Holy Spirit to control your life, you get in the Bible because what happens is when you get these scriptures in your life and the Holy Spirit brings those to your mind, now you have the ability and the opportunity to submit to that leading of the Holy Spirit because He's got something to lead you with. If you're struggling and you don't understand why you're going through the struggles that you're going through, get in the Scripture, read the Bible, it'll give you encouragement, it'll help you with the difficulties and the struggles in your life. And if for no other reason, if you can't find anything else to hang on to, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and read verse 18, where it talks about how that we, we don't dwell and focus on the things that we can see because those are temporal things. They're temporary. They rot, they rust, they break, they, they disintegrate. We focus on eternal things because they never end. I'm sitting at lunch with a pastor yesterday. lady brings our food to the table, sets it down there, and she says, "Uh, is there anything else I can get you? He said, no, I don't think so. He said, what's your name? She said, nah. He said, nah, I would like to ask you a question if I could. She said, okay, very nice, young lady. He said, if you died right now, do you know that you'd go to heaven? She said, well, no, sir, I don't. He said, would you like to know how? And she said, I sure would. Sitting at our table, with the food sitting on the table, that lady stood right there while that pastor shared the gospel with her. She stood praying, tears dripping off of her chin, and asked God to save her in that restaurant. That's eternal. Now, you know what? I don't know what kind of struggles I might have been going through right then, but I sure didn't care anymore. I wasn't worried about those struggles anymore. I was excited about that girl that just put her trust in Christ and got saved. Last week when two guys walked down after life recovery on a Sunday morning and they said, we want to know what you were talking about right there. And I set those two guys down and they asked God to save them, got saved. That's what it's about. Those are eternal things. Sean Wise and, and David Young testified in Foundations 101 Sunday how that life recovery had changed their life those people that are involved in the missions and outreach program, and the life recovery program, you had a part in that. And those are the things that we refer back to when we're struggling with temporal things, with our visa bill being passed due, the transmission falling out on our car. Yeah, those are bad things. Those are discouraging things. But you know what? This week, I have been blessed with the opportunity to have a part that had an effect and changed something for eternity. I can find encouragement in that. If you can't find encouragement in anything else, then stop looking at the temporal things and focus on the eternal things. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you so much for your blessings.